I want to look at Jeremiah 29 for two more weeks, um, and then we'll uh, be somewhere else after that. But Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was what King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, son of Shapna and Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Our New Testament text will be this today. But I said to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time together as brothers and sisters. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds are open to your spirit. May your spirit transform in us and work in us to be more like you. Lord, we are mindful of all the things going on in the world. We're mindful of our brothers and sisters in uh, the Louisiana area, in the southern Louisiana area. And Lord, we just pray for safety for them. We pray uh, for protection for them as, as, as Hurricane Ida comes onto shore, Lord. I pray that you be with all those who uh, are struggling through memories and struggling through just the, the stress of remembering a few years ago and now this again. I pray, Lord, for the uh, levees to hold and I pray for minimal damage, but I pray for safety. Lord, I just pray for your protection upon them. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Be seated. So I read a quote the other day, and it's one that really bothered me. Uh, it really got to me. It was in a story uh, about an, an, an up-and-coming politician. And yes, I know when I say politician, everyone bristles just a bit. But when I read it, and then as I was reading Jeremiah 29, and especially verse 7, which we're in today, the quote for me encapsulated everything that we see going on today. Uh, just how hard it is for uh, us, uh, you and I, to seek the best for the city that we're in, to seek the best for the place that we're in, especially when the place that we're in, when, when the village we find ourselves growing up with and, and the people around us have different views and different opinions. Where our neighbor next door can put things out in their driveway that is vulgar and ugly and terrible and we just have to deal with it and move on. And we look at God and say, you want me to seek the best for them? And so as I, I read this and, and as I read this quote, it... It just bothered me because it, it was, how do I preach a sermon on seeking the welfare, the peace, the prosperity of the city when there are people who are trying to go into national prominence and, and this is the things that they're saying. I think our people hate the right people. What are we supposed to do when this is the quote? How are we supposed to seek the best when there are people who are saying, uh, if you're for me, then I can be for you. But if you're not, then I'm just going to hate you. And by the way, who are the right people to hate? 
it was a difficult quote to read. Because I can imagine that there are some who read this, maybe not outside of church because we're sitting in church, so we could read this and say, how dare him say that. But some of us who might be on the internet, you know, in our house, who read that quote and go, yeah, there are some people we should hate. He's right. There are some people who would disagree with me. My neighbor disagrees with me. Maybe he's right. That's the right person I need to hate. I can imagine as the prophet is speaking to the exiles in Babylon, I can imagine this going through their heads. I can imagine them thinking this way. There's a particular type of person, uh, God, I'm supposed to hate while I'm, in, while I'm in Babylon, and it's definitely my Babylonian neighbor. I can imagine the exile saying to them, uh, to their friends and to their family, hey, we like each other, but we don't like them. We don't like our Babylonian neighbor that we're with right now. So our group of people will like all the right people, but we're going to hate them. We're going to find peace among us, but when we're out there with them, not so much. And so when the people of exile were in Babylon, and as Jeremiah's letter is being written, I can imagine them saying in the first few verses that we've read over the last few weeks, that's fine, prophet. You know what? You want me to build, I'll build. I'll plant gardens, I'll do that. You want me to procreate and increase, okay. We can do that. But then you get to verse 7, and it's almost as if you can hear the record screeching across it right as it stops. Wait a minute. You want me to do what? I can, I can live with building, and I can live with increasing, but, but you, made, you made a mistake in what you just said, right? Like, you misspoke, Jeremiah. You, God really didn't say, you expect me To pray for this place? You expect me to seek, uh, as the version we read, prosperity, but in in other versions it's called welfare, and in other versions it's, it's peace. Really, the Hebrew word is one we know, shalom. You want me to seek the peace of the entire city? As the exiles are hearing this, they are like, look, we know who to pray for, Jeremiah. We're called. We're told. We pray for Jerusalem. We pray for Israel. We pray for the rebuilding of it. We pray for the revitalization of it. We pray for the power of Jerusalem. We do not pray for the power of Babylon. We do not pray that Babylon is a safe place for the Babylonians. We pray for peace for our people. We pray for a future for our people. We pray toward what we want and how we think it should look. And Babylon just ain't in the equation. I imagine Paul in the first century as he's dealing with this new community of Christians. And as this new community of Christians finds themselves surrounded by Rome. We've talked about it, you know. Uh, If you grew up in West Texas, you saw a church on every corner. They saw a temple on every corner. They are surrounded by pagans. They are surrounded by the pagan religions. There's nothing they can do. And as they're talking to Paul and saying, Paul, how do we live? How do we we make it through this, Paul? How do we do do this when our neighbors are are who they are and our neighbors are what they do? How do we do this? And and Paul in, in Romans 12 Gives this big, through the end of the chapter, says how they should live. But in verse 18, it's what always gets me. It's the one that's underlined. Everything's highlighted. This one's underlined. It says, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you. Notice what Paul says. says, 
Paul doesn't say, live peaceably with your kind. Notice what he says. Paul says, live peaceably with all. And the, the hard part of that is, so far as it depends on you. Not your neighbor. So far as it depends on your neighbor, no. Not your mayor, not your governor, not any of those. So far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. As Christians are in Rome, this is what Paul calls them to. Paul calls them to the exact same mandate that Jeremiah calls them to in Babylon. You will seek peace. You will be peace. Paul is saying that in the midst of chaos of the city, in the midst of your neighbors doing whatever, in the midst of whatever you disagree of, in a sea of chaos, if you're going to be my people, you're going to be a people of peace. And I know that's hard. And that's the difficulty of this. That's why when I read a quote that says, our people hate the right people, that feels pretty easy to do. Because they're... Because seeking peace is not easy. It's not easy to be a person, let alone a people of peace, when the ethos feels like, when the very kind of culture feels like chaos, when the philosophy is we hate all the right people as a group, it actually becomes easier just to contribute to that chaos. It feels like it is easier to not be a people of peace, but just to give in to what's going on around us. Why? Everybody else is doing it. I can be be someone of peace in here because for the most part, I like all you people. Think about it. I, I mean, I can do that in here. I can say the right stuff. I can do the right things. I can nod my head the way I'm supposed to nod my head. I can praise God the way I need to praise God. But when I get out there, whoo boy, it's a different task. Russ, you don't know my neighbors. You don't know what my city's doing. You don't know what they're saying. I, I get that. Peace is hard. Being a people of ple- peace in a place where f- peace feels distant or, let's be honest, just non-existent, peace feels incredibly abnormal. Yet the prophet and Paul in Romans 12 calls us to be an abnormal people, to live in a different way, that our ethos is not chaos, but our very being it will be peace. Christopher Wright says this about Jeremiah 29 when he was summing it up. He said, this is what the prophet's calling him to. The prophet's calling him to that they should seek the shalom of the neighbors. They should seek the peace of the neighbors in Babylon, care for their welfare, be agents of constructive peace and well-being in their communities in which they are settled. I like that phrase, agents of constructive peace. I like that. It's not agents of change. Notice what he doesn't say. You're not going to change Babylon. Make no mistake, Jeremiah didn't think Babylon was going to change. Why? Because we got the end of Jeremiah where he says Babylon's going to get theirs. He says be agents of peace. While you're there, you are agents of peace. We seek peace and when it gets complicated, when it gets difficult, when we don't know what to do, when we would rather contribute to the chaos, when we would rather hate instead of love, Jeremiah gives us a way through this. 
Jeremiah says, I got something for you that'll help you move through this. That'll help you get through this when violence and hatred start bubbling up around you. When you look around you and you notice that no one looks like you and speaks like you and says anything like you. That no one has the same ideas as you. Jeremiah says this. It's why we read Matthew 5. Jeremiah says, and you're going to pray. You're going to pray. To Jeremiah, prayer is a valuable tool. When you live in a pagan society, Jeremiah says... You pray. When you don't know what to do, when you don't know how to make it the next day, Jeremiah says, you pray. When you look around and everything is different than it was the day before, you pray. When it would be easier to hate, Jeremiah says, pray. And here's the thing. What Jeremiah is saying here is quite subversive when you think about it. Because what God is saying through Jeremiah to the people is this. Look, I know that you're in exile. And in the ancient Near East, if you're in exile or you were defeated, it means your God wasn't good enough to win. So the Babylonian God is more powerful than the God of Israel because they're in exile. And so Jeremiah is saying in this moment, I've got a really hot sports opinion for those who listen to the ticket. i got a big HSO for you in this moment. I'm going to tell you this, you're going to pray because while you think God is defeated, he's not. You're going to pray because God's going to be listening to you in a foreign land. And actually, God's going to be working through you in a foreign land for the sake of the place that you're at. Where you're at, God will be. It's something that I can imagine the Israelites didn't think was possible. When we get back to Jerusalem, when we get back to our land, when whatever happens, happens, then God will be with us. And yet, Jeremiah is saying God is already with you and God is calling you into the place that you're at. To be the people of God and that God will listen to you. So pray. Pray for your enemies. And we've heard that. That's why we read it. Jesus said it. Pray for your enemies and those who persecute you. One of my favorite quotes about this is is this right here. Uh, Oh, I don't have it. Well, sorry. Um, Here's the quote. It says, it's hard to keep hating someone when you are praying for them every day. It's hard to keep hating someone if you're praying for them every day. I wonder who in here is praying for that neighbor. I wonder who in here is praying for your city and your mayor and the people around you. Or do you find yourself just in groups with other people like you, just, you know, saying derogatory things about those people you don't like? And yet Jeremiah's words to the exiles are pray. And Jesus' words... To now those followers of him who know it's going to be difficult is pray. Paul's words to the people in, in Rome and to the other communities in the first century was to pray. Continue to pray. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those you don't disagree with. Because it's hard to hate someone when you're praying for them every day. What we're definitely not supposed to be is the opposite. I know that we all want our city and our place to be a certain way and I get that. But we're not supposed to judge our city. We're not supposed to be, as uh, I continually think of it, we're not supposed to be the judge, jury, and executioner of our city. Basically, we don't like what we like, so what we're going to do is we're just going to build our wall like we talked about last week. We're going to build it, and we're going to stay right in here, and we're just going to watch it burn. Sometimes I feel in the last few months that, that Rome is burning, and, and instead of us trying to be the firefighters to put out the fire, we're more like Nero playing the violin. A lot of times it feels like we're just giddy to watch what's going on. I told you this was going to happen is what we find ourselves saying. 
It's easy to get that way. It's easy to get cynical. And yet what we find is that we were never called to be judge, jury, or executioner of everything, anything. Heck, we read this text and all we see is we're supposed to be what? Builders, planters, multipliers. By the way, all things, do you notice, that bring life. We are not called to bring any kind of death to the city at all through words or actions. Paul never called the people of God in the first century. And by the way, where do you think Paul got that? He got it from the prophets. He got it from God who kept saying, be a people of peace even in a pagan place. It is God who will judge the nations. We know that and read that. It is God who will judge the cities. We know that. That is not our job. We need to quit being judge, jury, and executioner. Any peace that finds its roots in a mantra of exclusion and hate and division is not of God. The prophet didn't call him to do that. The problem said, you know what, you're there, get busy. And you know what, as you seek the best for them, the best will come back to you. I was reading a story this week, and that's where this photo comes in. I was reading a story this week, and uh, the, the person in the red shirt, uh, Ray Robokowski, is a Milwaukee cop. And Jacqueline, Jacob Macklin is a, a drug dealer and, and gang, was a drug dealer and gang member. And Macklin had been arrested so many times that, as the article said, you could actually see him grow up through his mugshots. Um, and so uh, one, one afternoon, the DA of Milwaukee was looking for ways to kind of break the cycle of hatred and behavior that was beginning to fester in this part of the city of Milwaukee. So he brought these two men together for a conversation. Robokowski from the police department and Macklin from that neighborhood. And, and as you can imagine, neither wanted to be there. In fact, Robokowski says that his supervisor forced him to go to the dinner. Uh, and Macklin didn't want to be there because he didn't want to be next to a cop, as you can imagine. They were both skeptical that, that anything could happen. That anything could, could come out of a, a positive from them for the community. And so what the DA did was the DA, uh, as he was talking, said, I've got this place I want Jacob Macklin to work. It's this community um, house type place. And they, they give groceries and they also help with uh, they help with job skills to help uh, ex-cons and others who are struggling find, find job skills and, or, uh, and able to uh, find work. And as he's talking about the story, Rob Bukowski is basically saying, this is a big old fat waste of time. Nothing's going to happen from this. I'm going to be arresting this guy tomorrow. Why? Because it's easy to be cynical. So Macklin goes and starts working. Flash forward a few years and Robokowski retires from the Milwaukee Police Department and is looking for another job, you know, just to kill time. And he goes to Jacob Macklin. And he goes to Jacob and says, can I get a job? Because by this point, Jacob is now one of the managers. And so Macklin hires him. And for the last couple of years, Macklin and Robokowski have been working together to help ex-cons and bring people out of gangs and give them job skills so that they could find jobs. The DA is the one who sat down and said, maybe it's better for us to seek the peace of the city, to continue to be cynical 
and to continue to to find ways in which we don't think this is going to work. And through that, you've got two men who probably didn't like each other for the longest time who are now, well, they're best friends. And they're seeking the best for the neighborhood that they're in and the city. And the city has found itself in that neighborhood being a lot more peaceful than it was. The last thing our city needs right now is more yelling and finger-pointing. We have too many problems in this place. And hate, let's be honest, never helps or builds anything. It's as if we haven't learned quite yet what Paul said. It's like we haven't quite learned uh, what Jeremiah said. As Jeremiah says, he says, look, if you seek the peace, then peace will be on you. Paul said it better this way. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If we're reaping violence and dissension and division, what do you think we're going to sow? We can't expect to sit in here and say, well, we're reaping, we're sowing peace inside this building. Why aren't we reaping it out there? Paul says, don't, what are you doing? Jeremiah says, guess what, exiles? While you're in Babylon, and it's going to be a while, sow peace. Sow peace with your neighbor. Sow peace with the places that you're at. Because when you do that, you'll reap peace. And if we're supposed to be a people of peace, then we should be sowing peace wherever we go. When we see chaos, we're the ones who run into it and sow peace. We're the ones who de-escalate instead of escalate. It's why when we read of Daniel, Daniel is so amazing. Because did you notice Daniel is working inside the Babylonian government. And the entire time Daniel's there, he never goes against his values. In fact, it gets him in trouble a few times. But he's honored by seeking peace in every way possible inside the government. To the point where he, like, he has genuine... like. Positive emotions towards the kings, of, toward Nebuchadnezzar and others. He wants to see their best. Why? Because it, it just makes for a better time. And so, what we do matters. How you work and where you work matters. How you treat others in your work matters. How you treat your neighbor today matters how you treat your co-workers matter in everything that you do you bear witness either to christ and the ethos that is jesus which is love your neighbors love your enemies pray for those around you or they will see the ethos of the world which is encapsulated in our people hate all the right people people will know your identity when they see you and you can either be the people of peace people of Jesus in all that you do and every bit of work that you're in and how you treat your managers and how you treat your clients or you can be something else but Jeremiah says you want to seek for the best of the city seek the peace of the city when you seek the peace of the city then city then the peace will come back and it will be a place that can thrive while you're there it'll be a place that will not be terrible and by the way when there is peace then you can increase when there is peace then it's a lot easier to build and to plant and to grow it's not like this was some radical idea from just jeremiah 
Jesus later says it. Paul says it to the first century. That we are called to be this type of people. And so the words I leave you with is this, and Jesus said it. I offer a peace upon your house. So may your house be peaceful. May your neighborhood be peaceful. May our city become a place of peace. Because what we do in words and actions, in our jobs, and in our life of fun, seeks peace for everyone we encounter. That's our calling. That's our mandate. And when you want to hate somebody, pray. Let God soften your heart. Because your heart may be the one that needs softening. If you have any needs this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.